Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. When South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley was sworn in, she became the state's first female governor. Results are what I promised the people of South Carolina, and results is what I'm determined to give them. Governor Nikki Haley says it is the single largest economic investment in the state's more than 200-year history. Mercedes-Benz vans, full manufacturing right here in Charleston County. It is a great day in South Carolina. $560 million invested. 1,700 jobs right here in Chester County. It's a great win. So the best part of what has happened over the past couple of years is watching all of these jobs not just go into cities, but go into rural South Carolina. Because if you can give a person a job, you take care of a family. And we watched a lot of families get taken care of over the past couple of years. President-elect Trump has asked South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley to be his ambassador to the United Nations, and she's accepted. The daughter of Indian immigrants is considered a rising star in the Republican Party. Haley would be the first woman appointed to Trump's cabinet. Our new ambassador to the United Nations is living proof of the promise of America. For anyone that says you can't get anything done at the UN, they need to know there's a new sheriff in town. There is a new USUN. You are going to see a change in the way we do business. For those that don't have our back, we're taking names. For too long, the Human Rights Council has been a protector of human rights abusers and a cesspool of political bias. If, for any reason, North Korea attacks the United States or our allies, the U.S. will respond, period. She's so tough and she is so consistent. Mm -hmm. And you just know you're not gonna move her. The Americans just said, we want our embassy in the capital, and that capital is Jerusalem. America will put our embassy in Jerusalem. That is what the American people want us to do. And it is the right thing to do. No vote in the United Nations will make any difference on that. What we witnessed here today in the Security Council is an insult. It won't be forgotten. Standing her ground, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley making it clear. I will not shut up. Rather, I will respectfully speak some hard truths. Haley shows <laughs> us what American foreign policy looks like with the spine. Some people say there's a little too much swagger. You know that. You know, I don't think it's swagger, I think it's passion. I am very passionate about defending the United States. As Nikki said, the world is really respecting the United States again. into the legislature. I didn't know that I would be governor. I certainly never thought I would be UN ambassador. Even though I'm a private citizen now, I know I'm too young to stop fighting. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stephen Groves, the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Fellow.
thank you so much and good morning to everyone here with us today and as well as everyone who's joining us online. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation. I have the honor of introducing our speaker today who will deliver the 2021 Margaret Thatcher Freedom Lecture. Since 2006, uh, the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom here at Heritage has been fortunate to host conservative thought leaders, senior government officials, and authors of all stripes to give the Thatcher Lecture. But no other speaker better embodies the spirit of this lecture's namesake more than Ambassador Nikki Haley. Before she was Lady Thatcher, Margaret Rogers was born in a small town in the East Midlands to middle-class parents who were shopkeepers. Before she was Ambassador Haley, Nikki Rantawa was born in a small town in South Carolina and grew up working as a bookkeeper in her family's clothing store. Margaret Thatcher, of course, eventually rose to become the first female Prime Minister of the United Kingdom in 1979. In 2010, Nikki Haley was elected to be the first female governor of South Carolina. Now, these biographical similarities are interesting, to be sure, but more compelling are the actions that have been taken by Lady Thatcher and by Ambassador Haley during trying times. In 1980, very early in her premiership, Prime Minister Thatcher was pressed by some members of her own party to turn away from her economic deregulation policies. Lady Thatcher rebuffed those so-called conservatives famously saying, the lady is not for turning. In 2015, in the wake of a tragic church shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, Governor Haley faced down members of her own party and removed a Confederate battle flag that had been flying at the South Carolina State House since 1961. In New York, as US ambassador to the United Nations, time and time again, Ambassador Haley stared down scores of displeased foreign ambassadors, as you saw on the video, some of those, uh, who disagreed with U.S. policies. In Washington, Ambassador Haley often faced opposition from other cabinet members and senior officials at the White House for her conservative policy positions. As her chief of staff at the time, I witnessed these incidents firsthand and can attest to all of you today that the ambassador didn't turn. Sticking to one's strongly held conservative convictions in the face of adversity is the legacy of Lady Thatcher. And that is why we here at Heritage are honored to host our special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Ambassador Nikki Haley. Thank you so much, Steve. It's always great to be back with my friends at Heritage, and it's especially good to be here on a great day for America. We're making a comeback, and it just started in Virginia and New Jersey. Get ready. Few places have done so much to defend the principles that have lifted up so many and made America so great. And few places are more needed right now, because across the country, those same principles are being thrown out and replaced. Capitalism is a case in point. I speak about this topic for a good reason. 
Capitalism is the greatest driver of prosperity and destroyer of poverty in history. It's the single best way to help families, boost wages, create jobs, and discover the breakthroughs that improve all of our lives. Now more than ever, the hopes and dreams of every American depend on economic freedom. Yet just steps from here, the most liberal president and Congress in history are fighting hard to end that freedom. Last year, I said 2020 was the year socialism went mainstream. Well, 2021 is the year socialism took control. The left is tearing down the American people, yet too many on the right are rolling over when we should be fighting back. Capitalism is not the outs for many conservatives who should know better. They look at a rapidly changing world and assume our principles don't work anymore. They see the rise of socialism and they want to meet it halfway. They're completely wrong. The right must recapture its passion for economic freedom. It's the only way to stop the socialist wave crashing over our country. And it's the proven way to give the American people the life they deserve. The time has come to bring capitalism back. Inspiring leaders show us the way. In fact, the namesake of the Margaret Thatcher lecture is the best model. 41 years ago, in October of 1980, the Iron Lady taught us a great lesson. It came about a year and a half into her first term when things were going badly. The United Kingdom in the late 1970s was much further down the road to socialism than the United States is today. The biggest industries were government-owned. Corrupt labor unions trampled workers and job creators. Politicians bought votes with enormous entitlements and unaffordable promises. It was Bernie Sanders' dream. But for the British, it was a nightmare. Much of the damage will sound familiar. Inflation soared. The economy stagnated. Taxes crushed families and small businesses alike. Because of socialism, the United Kingdom was on the road to ruin. Then Margaret Thatcher hit the brakes. She knew the truth. Socialism steals the people's strength while capitalism unleashes it. She promised to restore capitalism, full stop, and she did. She shrank the size of the state and grew the people's freedom. She got rid of nationalized companies and ripped up restrictions on competition. She empowered millions of families to buy a home something socialism made impossible. More importantly, she gave them something they had lost, hope. It was nothing less than a revolution. With the benefit of hindsight, we know Margaret Thatcher's leadership worked. But by the fall of 1980, that wasn't obvious yet. The prime minister understood that socialism had taken a massive toll and that undoing the damage would take more than a year and a half. But not everyone agreed with her. Unsurprisingly, liberals and the British media howled. They accused Thatcher of attacking workers, crippling families, and not caring for the poor. But liberals weren't the only ones. Many of her fellow conservatives headed for the tall grass. 
They spent so long living under socialism, they forgot their own principles. And when the media piled on, which always happens, those bedwetting conservatives got scared. <laughs> they joined the liberal chorus in calling for Margaret Thatcher to make, and I quote, a U-turn. Here's what they meant. Since Thatcher's free market policies had not yet succeeded, they wanted her to head back in the other direction, the socialist direction, thus the U-turn. The phrase was all the rage at the time, but Thatcher's continued to refuse to go along. Instead, she rose to say what her country needed to hear. The setting was the Tory party conference. Every conservative member of parliament was there, including those who thought she was wrong. When Thatcher took the stage, she struck a defiant tone. She acknowledged a winner of discontent, but also spoke of an autumn of understanding regarding socialism's failures. And then she brought down the hammer, like only Margaret Thatcher could. She said, quote, we shall not be diverted from our course. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. You know what happened. Margaret Thatcher made no U-turn. Instead, her embrace of economic freedom turned the corner for the UK and turned around the lives and futures of millions of people who'd suffered so much from socialism. Four decades later, we could use some of that Thatcher's steely confidence and moral conviction because we're headed down the road to socialism ourselves. A funny thing happens any time Republicans bring up socialism. The media loses its mind. They shout and scream and say we're lying. They point to the time that Joe Biden said, I am not a socialist and demand we take him at his word. Well, I don't care what he says. I care what he does. What Joe Biden is doing is socialism, plain and simple. The Democratic Party is now a socialist party. Democrats are on the verge of creating the first cradle-to-grave welfare state in American history. They're creating a country where dependency is the default. It's a guaranteed recipe for national decline. Instead of empowering workers and families, the left is empowering unelected bureaucrats. So-called experts, elites, and government do-gooders have never had more power to destroy jobs they don't like, hurt families they don't know, and create one-size-fits-all mandates for situations they just don't understand. This government takeover isn't cheap either. Democrats are pushing the biggest and most destructive tax hike in American history. Working middle-class families will pay once in higher taxes, twice through lower wages, and three times when the bill comes due for the trillions of dollars that Democrats are adding to the national debt. Such are the wages of socialism. And what are families getting in return? Nothing good. The tax and spending binge is driving the worst inflation in over a decade. At the gas station, the grocery store, and online checkouts, families are paying more, but they're getting less. It's time to face the truth. 
Spending trillions of dollars won't solve our problems. Spending trillions of dollars is the problem. These policies are bad enough. What's worse is the worldview behind them. Socialism is fundamentally at odds with America's guiding principles. Our country was built on a profound belief in people. We know that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we know that when people have access to those rights, they're capable of achieving extraordinary things. Our history proves it. We've fought hard to extend our founding promise to all, especially those who've been deliberately overlooked and unjustly excluded. And it turns out our belief in people is well-placed. In the past 250 years, if that proves anything, it's that no force on earth is more powerful than the collective genius of the American people. But socialism says the opposite. It doesn't believe in people. It believes in power. It doesn't want an experiment in self-government. It wants an experiment in government control. Socialism says a select few people in Washington, D.C. are smarter and better than the 331 million people who call this country home. It trusts central planners, not citizens, to determine America's fate. We thought it was bad when Barack Obama said you didn't build that. Today's Democrats say, don't even try and build that. Just trust us. This sad worldview is already holding America back. Our students are being taught as young as kindergarten that hard work doesn't matter, or worse, that America is racist. And worst of all, our fellow citizens are being told they're victims with no control over their own lives and destinies. I can't imagine a more dangerous way of thinking. It says to a single mom, give up and let welfare take care of you. It says to a laid off worker, don't try, we'll pay you to stay at home. It says to a student, don't strive or learn, you can't get ahead because the country is rigged. And it says to all of us, don't bother to dream, government's got this. That's the greatest tragedy of all. We can add up socialism's cost in dollars and cents, but we will never know it's human cost. Socialism isn't progressive. It's backwards. And it has no place in America. Not now, not ever. Defeating socialism is a moral necessity. It starts by retiring Nancy Pelosi in 2022 and Joe Biden in 2024. Yet winning elections isn't enough. Stopping the left won't matter if the right has forgotten what it stands for. It pains me to see some of our friends turning their backs on our principles. They're similar to the frightened Tories Margaret Thatcher faced in 1980. You know what I'm talking about. The conservatives who claim capitalism no longer works. They conclude that economic freedom fails families and hurts workers. So they're trying to create a hybrid capitalism, a hyphenated capitalism. It's all a sham. Tear off the window dressing and they're calling for more mandates, more rules, and more government control of the economy and our daily life. 
They want to create more welfare programs and accelerate government spending. It's unthinkable, but they're fine with less personal freedom and more government power. That's not capitalism. It's socialism light. There was a time when conservatives understood that. In fact, there used to be a name for it. The quote, dime store New Deal. It's nothing more than bigger government, just not as big as the socialists want. Well, good luck with that. Conservatives will never outbid the left when it comes to growing government. Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are proving that every day. If all we're offering is a cheaper welfare state or slightly less bad mandates, we'll lose. If the American people are asked to pick between actual socialism and a watered-down version, they'll choose the real thing. Conservatives should know better. Don't cave. Not now, not ever. There's no crying in politics. We have to fight. We have to offer a clear and compelling alternative, and we don't have to wonder what that alternative is. It's capitalism. You know who else should know better? Corporate America. But they've decided to take the lazy, cowardly route. The C-suite has rallied behind its own form of socialism light. They call it stakeholder capitalism. When you unpack it, it's nothing more than a desperate attempt to make the left happy. Companies should be fighting for economic freedom, not bowing to government. Yet corporate boards won't defend the very principles that allow their businesses and their employees to succeed. They're too scared to defend what they know works. Look, I get it. They think it's good for business to have the media pat them on the head and say, you're better than the rest of those crazies. But cable TV applause and cocktail party praise won't matter. What matters is lifting up the American people. Socialism and socialism light can never do that. Capitalism can and has proven it time and time again. Donald Trump's tax cuts and regulatory rollbacks are the most recent proof. They helped create the best economy of my lifetime with the lowest unemployment in 50 years and real wage growth across the board. We should be proud of those accomplishments and double down on them, not undo them. There's one more supposedly conservative critique of capitalism. You hear it from the left too. Either way, it's the silliest argument of all. There are those who say capitalism is bad for America, but good for communist China. They say if you're for the free market, you're for giving away the farm to Beijing. They say that economic freedom means shipping critical industries from Chicago to Shanghai, giving China everything it needs to hold America hostage. Well, that's just a red herring. Americans have always known that national security is our top priority. The pandemic proved that we can never be dependent on our biggest enemy for medicine. The same is true for advanced technology and security systems. That's just common sense. There's also some irony here. Those who accuse capitalism of strengthening China are the same people who want to do business like China. Think about it. They're calling for a national industrial policy, which basically means the government should control what companies make, pick which businesses succeed, and dictate what the economy looks like. 
That's a recipe for disaster, and it's totally un-American. In fact, those who support national industrial policy are basically saying America should be more like communist China. They think government controlling and directing innovation is better than unleashing the genius of our companies and our citizens. They might as well start calling each other comrade and saying that five-year plans are better than economic freedom. You don't have to think very hard to see how dumb that is. Imagine saying in 1980 that America should be more like the Soviet Union. Thank God Ronald Reagan said the opposite. We can't out-central plan a bunch of communists. And if we play by China's rules, China will win. The better bet is to play the game the American way, and that's capitalism. Americans are the most innovative, creative, and visionary people in history. In a fight between Chinese communism and American capitalism, America will win every single time. The biggest reason socialism is gaining ground is because capitalism's defenders are too afraid to speak up. By staying silent, we've lost the moral high ground and let a failed ideology corrupt the minds of the next generation. We can't keep quiet. The truth matters, and it's time to tell it and be proud about telling it. To start, we need to define capitalism instead of letting the other side spread falsehoods and lies. Capitalism is not pro-big business. It's pro-people, all people without exception. Economic freedom is all about empowerment, especially for the least fortunate and most vulnerable. We want a society where a single mom can support her kids, where a working family can get a better job and a bigger paycheck, where a college student can turn her big idea into a booming small business. We want a society where people don't just dream it. They have the freedom to do it. And nobody has the power to stand in their way. We need to describe what capitalism has done. Namely, it has lifted more people out of poverty than anything else in human history. Economic freedom has doubled Americans' life expectancy from 40 to 80. It has cut infant mortality from a third of kids to practically none. It took us from horses to cars to airplanes to spaceships while turning the impossible into the inevitable. After watching America, other countries have followed our lead, including by ditching socialism. Now someone escapes extreme poverty every 1.2 seconds worldwide. And capitalism is to thank. Finally, we must apply capitalism to the unique challenges of our time. Many assume that capitalism is nothing more than cutting taxes, cutting red tape, and wasteful spending. It is that, but it's so much more. Today, capitalism means standing up to corporate America as much as government. We've come to a place where a lot of CEOs think it's fine to impose their values on the rest of us. They want to dictate what we think, how we live, and how we vote. That's wrong when politicians do it, and it's wrong when tech giants and anyone else does it. Corporate America should stick to business and stop preaching. Capitalism means transforming education from top to bottom. 
It's a national shame that so many students leave high school and college without the skills they need to succeed in life. 65% of our fourth graders are not proficient in reading. We need to inject competition into education. That means more school choice, more pathways to college degrees, more college alternatives, and more workforce training for people of all ages. Education can't be allowed to hold anyone back. Every child deserves a world-class education regardless of where they're born and raised. Capitalism means taking on special interests and taking away their special favors. We should all be upset that so many companies get handouts, bailouts, and carve-outs from the federal government. And we should be furious that socialism is doubling down on corporate welfare while giving labor unions the power to control workers. Economic freedom and fairness go hand in hand, and companies, workers, and families deserve a level playing field, no exceptions. Finally, capitalism means defending the principles at our country's core. America is not rotten. America is not racist. Freedom and the rule of law are not tools of oppression. They are essential to delivering opportunity for all. Of course, America is not perfect, but the principles at the heart of America are perfect. Margaret Thatcher was right. There's no need for a U-turn away from capitalism. It's the road that brought our people, our country, even further than any other in human history. I know people are worried right now. It's easy to be. They see an unknown future, and it can look pretty dark. They see a fast-changing world, and they wonder if they can keep up. Of course they can. As it so often does, the great state of South Carolina proves it. For 150 years, South Carolina was the beating heart of the American textile industry. It manufactured clothes for our state, our country, and for much of the world. And it provided jobs to thousands of our citizens from one generation to the next. But it didn't last. Innovation made it cheaper and easier for machines to make clothes. Trade agreements made it more affordable to buy foreign-made clothes. So one by one, our textile mills closed. It was devastating. Jobs disappeared. Communities fell apart. It was tough to watch. People were suffering and desperately looking for answers. We could have complained and propped up the textile industry with lots of government subsidies. We could have told people that welfare and handouts were their only hope. That would have been the lazy way out. But South Carolina didn't do that. We did the hard work. We adopted policies that made our state stronger. We encouraged local and foreign businesses to set up shop. We cut taxes and regulations, diversified our economy, retained our right to work laws, trained our workforce, and opened the door to opportunity and optimism. It worked. Today, the same towns that once had textile mills now build planes, cars, tires, and medical devices. When I was governor, we were referred by trade magazines as the beast of the Southeast, which I loved. It took time to get there, and the transition hurt. But we are much stronger today than ever before. Capitalism saved South Carolina. 
It can save America too. Now is not the time to lower our sights and lessen our belief in the American people. Now is the time to set our sights high and empower the people to carry us there. I know of a family that came here because they saw a country where they could achieve anything. Their homeland had tried socialism for decades with nothing to show for it except sadness and poverty. That family moved to a small southern town. They didn't look like their neighbors. Nobody knew who they were, what they were, or why they were there. The mom built a small business. The dad taught at a historically black college. They did their part to improve their community. They gave their children a chance to make the most of their lives. They succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. That family is my family. My parents left India because of America's promise. I'm here today because that promise is worth defending. Our fellow citizens and future generations deserve better than a country that gives up on them and holds them down. They deserve to live in a land that believes in them, a land of realized dreams, the best hope on earth. If we restore that kind of America, there's no telling how far we'll go. There's no telling how much good we'll do for all who call America home. But we owe it to them and ourselves to find out. Thank you, and God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much, uh, Ambassador Haley. I'd like to... Uh, welcome to the stage, uh, a former aide of Lady Thatcher and current director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom, uh, Dr. Nile Gardner. Thanks very much, uh, Steve. And um, uh, thank you very much, Ambassador, for an absolutely tremendous uh, lecture. Really inspiring words. Uh, thank and you. And I have to say, I have such a man crush on Nile. He's like <laughs> one of the coolest policy guys. <laughs> He can tell you everything about British politics. So it's a real thrill to be here with you. So thank well, you. That's, uh, that's incredibly kind. Thank, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have to say that uh, my former boss, Margaret Thatcher, would absolutely have loved your speech. So it was a speech, I think, that embodied the spirit of Thatcherism. Uh, and uh, as a former aide to, to Margaret Thatcher, I, I think I, I can say that you, know, you are the closest America has to an Iron Lady. Uh, and uh, and, and your leadership is, is inspiring uh, to see. And uh, in fact, I, I just uh, flew in last night from, from London back, back to Washington uh, and uh, across the Atlantic uh, I think conservatives are looking at how U.S. conservatives are fighting back against socialism. Uh, and uh, as soon as I landed, I got the news last night uh, of, a, of a political revolution, basically, in, in Virginia, uh, with news that uh, Youngkin had uh, defeated McAuliffe in the governor, governor race, and an absolutely huge political earthquake uh, and um, could, you, could you talk further about the significance of that? What does that actually mean for, for Joe Biden? Uh, pretty bad news for, 
President Biden over at COP26 in, in Glasgow. Not exactly the news he wanted to hear, certainly. Uh, how, how big of a development is this? What does this mean uh, for U.S. politics uh, right now? Well, I think that the earthquake wasn't just in Virginia. It was in New Jersey. I mean, if you look at what Jack Cettarelli did, everybody discounted New Jersey. And look at how close it got. And so, you know, what this says is... Um, this is parents' way of telling government, don't mess with our kids. It is people who are done with all the culture wars and see the ridiculous of it, ridiculousness of it. It's people tired of the self-loathing of America when they've seen the dreams happen time and time again. It's inflation where whether you're at the gas pump or the grocery store, costs haven't just gone up a little bit. Costs have gone up a lot. It's the idea that so many things have gone wrong. That doesn't even count foreign policy. What does this say to Joe Biden? It tells him he needs to quit listening to the squad and start looking at conservatism because what they're doing is they are trying to take us down the track of socialism. That's not what America wants. America doesn't want government telling them how to live. America doesn't want them telling them how to parent. America doesn't want them telling who will be successful and who won't. When you open the door to socialism, you can't close it. And that's the biggest lesson of all of this, is anyone who's trying to do a halfway capitalism, anyone who's trying to just dip their toe in the water with socialism, they're going to get pushed back because the people of Virginia said no, the people of New Jersey are saying no, and I think everyone in America is going to say no in 2022. Um, without a doubt, an absolutely you know, seismic political event in, in Virginia. And, uh, and certainly um, the issue of education, critical race theory, was front and center uh, in this, uh, this governor race. And, and clearly the American people are not um, happy with the, the path that the far left are taking the United States. Uh, they do not want to have left-wing indoctrination in American schools. And actually, over in the UK as well, in fact, the, the British government, the Conservative government there, is fighting against uh, CRT, keeping it out of British schools. So it, it's, a, it's a transatlantic issue uh, right now. And um, in, in your view, how important is this, this issue, the, the broader culture wars, the fight against sort of left-wing council culture, far-left ideology, indoctrination schools? How big an issue do you think this is going to be uh, over the coming years in the United States? Well, I campaigned in both Virginia and New Jersey for those governor's races. And I will tell you, um, parents were highly offended. You know, don't mess with our kids. That's the one thing I'll say, don't mess with our kids. And what you have with critical race theory is the idea that a five-year-old girl would go into kindergarten who doesn't see race. And if she's white, you're telling her she's, she's bad. And if she's brown or black, you're telling her she'll never be enough and she'll always be a victim. It's abusive. It's un-American. And the idea that they would think that they could go and change history. Look, we are not a perfect country. I mean, we have our scars. We have the scars of slavery. We have the scars of the fact that women were held back. But we have overcome those scars. So when we teach history, teach the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. That's what we need to be teaching. That's the only way we'll learn. And so I think if you look at the fact that, not only that, look at the COVID generation. I mean, here you had governors and bureaucrats and Joe Biden 
take the side of teachers' unions over kids. We should be worried right now about that entire COVID generation. Imagine a third grader in rural South Carolina, like where I was born and raised. Imagine both of their parents having to work during COVID. And that child is sitting in front of a screen he's never used before, using a hotspot on a school bus down the street. Now imagine in third grade, that's when he learns reading, it's when he learns fractions, it's when he learns science. Are the teachers unions gonna have the courage to tell his parents that they have to hold him back? No. And we already have 65% of fourth graders who are not proficient in reading. Think about that, 65%. We know a child that can't read by the third grade is four times less likely to graduate high school. There are 30 countries ahead of us on math. Wake up, America. You can fight these culture wars all you want, but we have an obligation to our children. We have an obligation to that generation to not just educate them, but to make sure we give them the skills so that they can be successful, so that they have opportunities we didn't have. That's what the wake-up call is. We look so distracted right now. It's the part I hate when I think of the world looking at us. We're fighting over whether we're racist or not. We're fighting over whether we're going to change history. We're fighting over whether we want to open the door to socialism. What are we telling the world? Because when I met and knew all of those countries, they loved what we did in America. They loved the fact that we had freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to be and do anything we wanted to be. Why in the world would we start backtracking? Very, very well said, Ambassador. And uh, as an immigrant to the United States, uh, you know, my, myself, um, I have to say, I mean, this, this is the greatest nation on earth. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm humbled to be able to live in this country. Uh, and uh, I, I am, you know, immensely uh, grateful every day to, you know, to be here. This is a, you know, a truly wonderful nation that the world looks to for, for leadership. Uh, and unfortunately, at the moment, it has to be said that the United States is not really leading on the world stage. And uh, President Biden's leadership is, is widely viewed across much of the world, uh, including in, in the United Kingdom, um, as an absolute disaster. Uh, and recently, you had uh, British members of parliament literally queuing up in the House of Commons to condemn Joe Biden's uh, handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal. It was seen as a, the humiliation of a superpower. Uh, how damaging do you think the, the Biden administration's foreign policy is in terms of America's image in the world? How harmful is it actually to America's allies? Uh, and what, what are the consequences of the, you know, the Biden uh, approaches? I mean, it's even worse than, than President Obama's leading from behind approach, actually. In fact, uh, we saw Biden literally sleeping from behind at the uh, Glasgow <laughs> COP26 earlier this week. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what is the, the long-term damage of what we're seeing at the moment? You know, it, without a doubt, it's damaging. Um, more than that, it's embarrassing. The catastrophic part is the shaking of the trust we have with our friends. Um, you know, I think when we saw what happened in Afghanistan, it was extremely short-sighted. But more than that, it disrespected every friend that stood shoulder to shoulder with us for 20 years. Every country, the idea that we would leave Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night and not tell our friends who had sacrificed and lost people with us was just disrespectful and wrong. 
But it just didn't end there. It just kept getting worse. You know, you look at the fact that you just gave Russia Nord Stream 2, which is now allowing them to be energy independent. They've hacked us, and you haven't said anything about it. All you've done is actually sent one of the worst hacking violators back to Russia, which was a win for them as well. You look at what's happening with China. We're not holding them accountable. Trump passed sanctions if they cheated with intellectual property. We haven't followed through on that. You continue to see what China's doing in their deals with Iran. They're exporting oil. No one's calling them out on that. There's so many things that are wrong. He's falling over himself to do business with Iran. Like there's not a country out there that has to be looking at us right now saying, oh, let's ask U.S. They think we've lost our mind. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to President Biden. I'm saying that because this is a time where the world is less safe. This is not a time we need to be distracted. This is not a time where we need to act like we don't know what we're doing. This is a time where we double down on our best relationships, whether it's the UK, whether it's Israel, whether it's Australia, whether it's India, whether it's Japan. This is a time where we start getting smart to everything that's happening, especially our number one threat, which is China. So the damage he's done on foreign policy is great. We have to remember that we have an amazing ability to self-correct, and we don't have a lot of time to do that. Very wise words. These are extremely dangerous times at the moment. Uh, and, uh, um, and, and of course, as, as today, we're talking about Margaret, Margaret Thatcher's leadership uh, and the importance of the special relationship. Um, could you comment about Brexit? Uh, one of our favorite topics here. And, and of course, La Lady Thatcher was really, the, in many ways, the architect of Brexit. I mean, she, in her 2002 book, Statecraft, she called for Britain to think about leaving the EU. And, and as always, she was decades ahead of her, her time. Um, what, what do you see as the, the significance of Brexit? What does it mean for the United States? And also, could you talk about um, the possibility of a US-UK free trade uh, agreement and what that means for America as well? So I'm very excited about Brexit. I'm a fan. Um, and the reason I'm a fan is not any, um, it's not a, a pushback to the EU, although they were extremely difficult to work with at the United Nations. It's more about, I love the fact that the British people stood up. I love that they said, we don't want unelected bureaucrats in Brussels telling us what to do and how to do it. And I watched how all of their European brothers and sisters wanted the UK to fail. Like they would talk about them behind their back. They wanted to see them fall. I don't think they're going to fall. I actually think they're going to come out of this stronger. I think they're going to come out of this better. And I think what you're going to find is all those other countries start to want to do the same thing. Um, do I think that they're going to have, um, you know, stumbling blocks? Any transition is hard, but you have to go through the hard transition to get to the greatness. And I think they're going to get to the greatness. And I think that's going to include a lot of trade deals, including with the U.S. I mean, I can tell you the U.K. Um, was truly one of my, I think, favorite partners at the U.N. Um, you know, is our sister country. There's always been a level of trust with us. There's always been the idea that we could tell the truth and work things out together. I hope it always stays that way. It's a very special partner. And it's good for America to see the UK succeed. And so we should all be cheering them on as they go through this process. Fantastic. That's some music to my ears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, um, I think we have 
just a little, little bit more time uh, and uh, on the issue of, uh, of China. And of course, at the, at the UN, you were the enemy of tyrants and dictators, and you stood up to some of the worst human rights abusers in the world. And of course, China is right up there uh, with this communist brutal dictatorship, its acts of genocide against the, the Uyghurs. Uh, China has become the, the number one adversary, really, for the, for the free world. What should the United States be doing uh, to stand up to the, the Chinese communist threat and challenge? Just wake up and be smart. You know, look at the fact that they are our number one threat in the world right now, and look at what they're doing. They're modernizing their military. They're building everything up. You look, and we saw that hypersonic um, missile test. That's a big deal. The reason it's a big deal, you know, we're used to intercontinental ballistic missiles. You shoot those up, we know how to defend ourselves and shoot those down. A hypersonic missile, what makes that different is it's like a remote control car. You can't see it and you can't catch it. The idea that China beat us on that is a wake-up call to America. The idea that China has beaten us on artificial intelligence is a wake-up call to America. The idea that China is continuing to move faster on things you know, from technology to everything else, that's a wake-up call for us. We need to be smart. We need to, it's the reason why I've said that we need to boycott the Olympics. I think we should call China out for the human rights abuses. It's unthinkable that they have a million Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps, making them change their name, change their religion, forced labor, genocide. We promise never again to look the other way. And because it's China, everyone's too scared to say something. That's exactly why you say something. You look at the fact that they're stealing intellectual property. They tried to steal our vaccines. You look at the fact that they're doing this Belt and Road Initiative when all these are are pork projects so that they can run up the debt and turn, turn around and call it and then say, oh, you can't pay it? Give us your port. Give us your utility. Give us your military installation. Or what about the fact that President Xi started a commission that he personally chairs that says anyone that does business with China has to cooperate with the Chinese military? Think about that. Think about our financial data. Think about our health care data. Think about our children's living information. And now know that the Chinese military has that. America for too long, Republican and Democrat presidents thought that if we were nice to China, they'd want to be like us. They don't want to be like us. They are communist China. They are moving full speed ahead strategically. And we're sitting there reacting. We should be in front of everything they're doing. We should be calling them out for everything they do. And the interesting part is, this is the first time that we've had such an economic link to an adversary. So the first thing we need to do is, what's the national security threats? How do we become less dependent on China? India's doing it. Japan's doing it. Australia, I think it was great that the US, UK, and Australia did the deal for the missiles to counter China. It was one of the only things Biden's done right. But that's the kind of things that we need to be doing, because China is not losing any sleep over the U.S. right now. No one's using, losing sleep over the U.S. right now. No one is scared of us anymore. And we've got to gain that momentum back. Absolutely. And uh, 
unfortunately, we've reached the, the end of our Q&A, but I, I would like to, uh, Ambassador, invite you just to, uh, to say some brief closing, give some brief closing remarks if, if, you, if you would like to. Well, you know, the only thing I'll say is, look, I am the proud daughter of Indian immigrants who reminded my brothers, my sister, and me every day how blessed we were to be in this country. I mean, I watched the fact that literally we could do and be anything we wanted to be. I'm proof of that. The idea that my family came here and I became a governor, that I ended up representing the, wor the country on the world stage, that's America. That's what we should celebrate. Don't let anyone tell you America's bad or racist or wrong. It's not. It's, America's the best hope for every country. I've watched when America speaks, the world listens. When America leads, the world follows. What America does, the rest of the world wants to be. That's amazing. We should embrace that. We should hone in on that. And we have the opportunity. What I hope when people look at Virginia New Jersey, my hope for Republicans, don't get arrogant. Don't get arrogant. Don't think we've got this because we don't. This is about connecting with every single person. This is about expanding our tent to Hispanics, to Asians, to African Americans. This is about making sure that everyone knows that our solutions are the right ones and we're going to lift up everyone, not just part of us. This is the time when we go through our transition, when we do the hard work. And when we win, which we will, that's when the true test starts, because that's when we have to prove we deserve to be there. But I do want to end on one thing, just because I have to tell you. So I love Margaret Thatcher, right? But her favorite quote that I repeat everywhere is, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. <laughs> just thought we needed to end on that note. <laughs> Well, that's that's actually 100% right, uh, and uh, uh, and th thank you for your truly inspiring remarks today. Uh, really fantastic uh, lecture and and Q&A, uh, and uh, the remarks are so robust. I'm going to send them over to, to Boris Johnson actually, because I, I think he, you know, he should he should hear them as well. Uh, and it's important that we we advance Thatcherism on both sides of uh, of, of the Atlantic. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ambassador Haley, for everything you do to advance the cause of freedom and liberty here in the United States and on the international stage. And please do come back to see us again soon. This is, this is your home away from home here in, in Washington. Uh, and a, a real honor to host you today. And uh, absolutely wonderful as well to host everybody here. Thank you very much for joining us in person and online from across, across the world. Uh, and uh, please do join us again for our future events uh, and just to let you know as well that if everyone could stay seated just until all of the, the doors of the auditorium are open. But once again, thank you to everyone for joining us. And thank you, Ambassador Haley, for a truly terrific Margaret Thatcher Freedom Lecture. Thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate it.